What's up, everybody? Welcome to another live broadcast of the Security Squawk podcast recording. I'm your co-host, Brian Horning, with uh, Randy Bryan, Ryan O'Hara, and Reginald Andre, who are all, I don't know, is, uh, do we Photoshop your screens together, or are you guys yeah, actually? No, no, yeah, just just pasted everything together. We're, we're down here uh, visiting Andre at a conference. <laughs> Disney World? Not far, not far. Yeah, we can actually see Disney from tops of hotels. Nice. So, welcome to the show, everybody. We gotta, we're gonna kind of keep it quick because the guys have somewhere to be in a little bit, and actually, so do I. We got other people trying to tell us something new. Yeah, and uh, those guys are down there learning. And uh, today, we're gonna talk about um, an FTC guideline regulation whatever you want to call it but it impacts a lot of businesses in the united states and a lot of people need to be aware of this stuff because um you're seeing it from a lot of different places we talk about how you're seeing it from cyber insurance companies when you're applying for cyber insurance but now the government's putting teeth behind a lot of this stuff that you need to be doing around cybersecurity that we talk about on this podcast so we're going to get into the details of this, but this applies to, I promise you, it applies to every single business that's out there today that transacts money. I mean, that's as simply as I can put it. If you handle money, transfer money through wire transfers, credit cards, whatever, in your business, this probably applies to you. And the important thing is, is that the responsibility for doing this stuff is being pegged on very specific individuals in the company, and it's not your IT guy. But before we get into it, Randy, what's our fee for the show? Man, our fee is we are free, but not free as in not worth anything. We're free as in a free beer. Um, it's something good. It's something of value, and it's something enjoyable, and it's something that you may need. And what we talk about, we really, we really do um, need because um, there's so much stuff out there, and business owners really need to make themselves aware of what's going on. So for our fee, we ask that you like, share, subscribe, anywhere um, that you are watching this. Um, we just wanna, wanna get the word out. Um, also, um, pass it on to a friend. So send the link, pass it on to a friend, let them know about, about the show. And send us free beer too, that works as well. Yeah, free beer works. We like, we like free beer. So yeah, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Appreciate it, Randy. Um, help us out, share the show. and. Without further ado, let's just jump into this FTC safeguard rule um, that's basically, you know, targeting executives now, right? Basically saying, like, executives are going to be held responsible, whether that's criminally or just through fines. Um, and the FTC has a lot of leeway to find businesses. Um, and, you know... No longer can you can you pass the buck, right? Because I think a lot of CEOs and, and, and people that have IT departments or they work with a managed service provider, they have an IT director. When it comes to cybersecurity, a lot of CEOs, more than you would think, just go, hey, you know, I got a guy that's taking care of that for me. That's about all they know about what's going on in their company when it comes to cybersecurity. They got a guy doing something or they got a girl doing something. Um, and the reality of it is, is now these executives, boards of directors are now being 
you know, the shot, the spotlight's going to be shined on them when bad things happen in their company. Um, and the way this is all going to play out, in my opinion, is the FTC is not going to be proactive about this. They're just going to investigate ransomware attacks and cyber attacks and business email compromises. Yep. And then they're going to come in and they're going to levy fines or potentially criminally charge people based on, you know, the evidence that they have in front of them. Like if you, you know, if you're a CEO and you've been told by somebody along the way that you need to shore up your cybersecurity and you made the decision not to do so, you're probably going to be held criminally charged. Um, for personal. And to your point, Brian, so so that's one of the, the first things that comes into the, the suggestions is the, the not able to pass the buck anymore. Um, one of the very first things says you have to designate somebody, whether internal or third party. And if you choose a third party to kind of run the to, to quarterback things, you still have to designate somebody internal as that point of contact, that responsible party who's going to report then into the company. So, you know, if you if you try and pass the buck, you're already, you know, outside of the guides of this this law anyway. So it, it uh, circumvents that, that excuse. Yeah, we've, we've seen a ton of that over the past uh, year as we've investigated incident after incident after incident. Lots of buck passing, lots of blame, lots of move along, nothing to see here. And we've said it over and over, y'all, but that those days are, are ending. Um, this law takes in another gigantic section um, of business and puts them into the what what we were talking about in the green room. We just call it normal cybersecurity process yeah. processes, you know. But but it's basically taking a whole another chunk of business and pulling it under that umbrella, requiring you know those things. So and we finally see that the government is is protecting the the, the consumers because how many times are we dealing with these businesses? We're giving them our bank statements, our financial information. And then what are they doing with it? They, there's no safeguards. They're asking us to, oh, to, you know, send us an email with your driver license and all of these things. And then there's going to be guidelines that they have to follow to protect the information that we're giving them. Yeah. So I was just at lunch with a realtor and realtors are one of the organizations that are pointed out, you know, as part of this, because I, there's a lot of businesses out there that just think like, you know, we don't, you know, we don't have anything that anybody would want. Right. And, you know, realtors are on the list. Why? Because I've audited a lot of realtors, mortgage companies, um, uh, title companies. Right. And when we go in and we, you know, scan their network, we're finding data all over the place. that's unencrypted or, or not secured mm -hmm. properly. So mm -hmm. security numbers, ACH information. Right. And we know that a lot of these companies, you know, you just think about the real estate space. In most cases, a lot of realtors are 1099. They, they don't really work for like Century 21 or Keller Williams, you know, or, or, or Berkshire Hathaway. They're a 1099 contractor, which means they buy their own laptop. They work when they want. You know, Berkshire Hathaway is not providing those computers to those agents and, and making them follow certain standards around cybersecurity on those devices. So they're not encrypting email when they're sending email or when they're receiving email. It's not getting encrypted if it contains an ACH number or something like that. So literally just had lunch with a realtor who we were talking about something like this. And he was like, yeah, it just happened to a transaction I was involved in. The lady was supposed to get a paper check for her proceeds and the cyber criminal emailed um, I guess the title company and said, Hey, 
uh, I don't want a paper check wire to this account. And it was the cyber criminals account. I think it was like $20,000. So, you know, this is why these, these organizations have to start following this stuff mm -hmm. because we know, you know, when these investigators go in and, 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 you know, learn what's going on in these, in these crimes, this is what they're seeing. They're seeing, you know, simple stuff like this, where you know, there's no two factor on the email. There's no encry encryption on sensitive information. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, realtors and that whole space is, it, they're just not educated on this stuff. They don't know, they're, they're not aware. Um, and I think it's going to come to a surprise to a lot of them that, you know, how much risk is actually, is actually there. Um, so let's talk about some of the things. I mean, do you want to go through some of the comp the, comp the types of companies that could fall under this? Or do you want to talk about the things that people need to do? Uh, we probably want to do both. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, what they got up on their cheat sheets here. So I have the list, so I'll read it off. We'll go okay. through that quick, and then we can talk about um, some of the things that you need to start doing and why. So we got, you know, just think about this, though. I'm just giving you a list of kind of common businesses that we see that have a lot of transactions that cyber criminals know that if they target them, they're probably going to find you know, mm -hmm. something that they can use to, you know, make money. Um, but just this doesn't mean if I don't say your business that you're not included in this. If you deal with anything, you know, private, like Ryan said bank account information, social security numbers, credit cards, and that's transmitted in any other method than a secure method, um, you're probably, you know, at risk and you probably need to start following some of these guidelines. So, you know, you got accountants, obviously they're dealing with a lot of social security numbers and a lot of tax returns, ATM operators, uh, car rental companies, because they have financial information plus driver's license plus a lot of personally identifiable information in their systems courier services just because they're usually taking things between lawyers and courthouses and you know things like that credit reporting companies credit unions debt collectors financial advisory firms hedge funds non-bank mortgage lenders payday lenders property appraisers, real estate firms, retailers. That's a lot right there. I mean, retailers, that could be restaurants. That could be, you know, your mom and pop shops. Stock I think they also say non-bank mortgage lenders because banks were already a part of this even even before this. Episode. Well, banks have to follow SEC regulations, yeah, they've, which they've got, everything they've got I'm seeing in this FTC stuff mirrors the SEC regulations. Yeah. So... Then you got tax preparers and then universities because people apply for student loans Oof. and they have all that student loan data collected and, and things like that. So basically, if you if you give out loans in any way or you're involved in yep. lending mm. in any way, shape or form, um, you know, think business credit people. Right. You know, there's people out there that get, get business credit. Um, I see them all over the place advertising. We were just talking to to a home improvement company, and, and that was one right. of the things that they offer was was financing, financing, right? Yeah, yep. for the project. So, yes. So, so where, now your now your contractor, whose job is to swing a hammer, is now collecting personal information on you, and you have no idea if he's securing right. that or not. 
So that's the whole point of the stuff you need to do. And quite frankly, the stuff you need to do, just to be honest with everybody, is not going to be something that you flip a switch and have it. It's not going to be something that you're going to be able to implement overnight. And it's not going to be free. So we'll try to give you some perspective around each of these things. But um, first one on here, guys, implement and periodically review access controls. Mm -hmm. All right. What what the hell does that mean? Um, it's going to be things like, uh, like multi-factor, um, authentication. So anywhere a customer accesses data at your business, um, where that's uh, actually number five on the list, MFA. Um, on mine, it's actually on the list. I don't think we're looking at the same list. Nope. <laughs> I'm looking at what Andre said. Government regulation. It's uh, you know ambiguous enough where everybody's got to. Exactly. Got All of exactly. this stuff is true. It's just under. So. Number number five in the list is is what Randy said. Implementing multi-factor authentication that got its own line item. Um, but you know, determining who has access to customer information. Like how many times do we talk about it? Every, you know, companies have business shares, right? Where everybody has yeah. access, and that's like the dumping ground for every file in the company. And we talk about it all the time. Like, does marketing really need to have access to customer data? Um, and that's kind of one of the things that you have to do. So that means you have to define the rules for the data and then you have to review that on a regular basis. And as Ryan said, you need to make somebody in charge of this. <laughs> keep a log of that as well. So like if somebody, right. you know, if, if, if something happens and that data was, was breached, you need to be able to know quickly who in the company has access to that data. So you need to have that very clearly documented updated regularly so you can find out you know the drop of a hat who may have so I'd like to break it down to like a kind of real world example right as you, as you say you know because I guess I think of this scenario where a company does do this one time right they they check all their folders and they you know and who has access to what but I like I feel like we need to point out that this needs to be like ongoing monitoring of access to these folders and, and who has access to what. Cause I, I think people don't realize how things change in an IT or network environment and why they can change. Like most users who don't know the inner workings of networks and folder permissions and stuff like that, setting up new users, all those good things that, you know, our companies do how much things change behind the scenes right and think about an employee that gets a you know promotion they move from one job to another and what happens if it forgot to remove the access to the stuff that they had when they granted them access to the new stuff that they need right 100 new employees maybe you're maybe you're trying to figure out an issue right and you're messing around with permissions you know you got to make sure somebody's kind of following up the it team and making sure that the things that they're the switches they're flipping are getting flipped in the proper position for whatever your cybersecurity protections are. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of how I look at that. It's, you know, you got to review this stuff and I think it's also prudent to point out, it's not just the business share and your file server, you got to be looking at who has access to your M365 anymore, your Azure uh, environment, you know, your AWS environment, any cloud service you have out there, you should really be evaluating. If you use Dropbox, 
not everybody needs access to every folder in Dropbox more than likely. And, and to take that a step further, one of the things that this, this law points out is you also need to look at uh, previous vendors. So just because you don't work with somebody anymore, you know, there's, there's data retention policies. So you could have a vendor that you previously used and stored information on um, that, you know, is you know, no longer somebody you're working with, but they're still because of data retention policies, storing things for, you know, three to seven years. So the other, the safeguard rules also require you to uh, know what you have and where you have it goes on to kind of say a fundamental step to effective security is understanding your company's information ecosystem. I kind of think it goes along with the same thing and conduct a periodic inventory of data, noting where it's collected, stored, or transmitted. I got a good story around this one. Uh, keep your ac keep an accurate list of all systems, devices, platforms, and personnel and design your safeguards to respond with resi resilience. You know, that's a lot in one line item yeah like the stuff that laid out there it is but it's literally the first step of cyber security is identified I sure mean, so you got to know um you got to know your your data that needs to be protected you got to know what systems need to be need to have access to everything what people i know we, we mentioned that in the first one what people need to have access but everything needs to be identified you can't you can't protect it you can't be resilient you can't come back and, you know, we talk about uh, minimizing the blast radius. You can't minimize the blast radius if if you don't know what it is that you need to protect and if you're not resilient. I mean, this this is basically like Cybersecurity 101 right now. Yeah. So. Did you have a story? Yeah, I have a story. So one of the things that I had to tell a client is, you know, we told them when we scanned their network that we found like 2 million social security numbers on our network and they challenged that number. Um, they just feel like they didn't have that much data out there. Um, and, you know, I was like, you know what, it could be a false positive. I didn't really go into the details of 2 million records, but I can go look and, and make sure it's what I'm telling you is, is accurate. So it was accurate. Um, what we discovered was a, a custom program that they had developed by a programmer for whatever reason, when somebody executed something, I don't know if it was running a report or something like that on their workstation, it would create a log file and those log files created for whatever reason, social security numbers. And that's, we found I think like on 80% of the machines, multiple log files existed. Um, and that's how we got to 2 million records. Uh, and that's like, that's the stuff like we ran a tool to scan to look for that. Right. And we now educated this CEO and said, hey, you have 2 million records on your systems. Like if you get breached, this is what you're looking at in terms of fines and, you know, what you're going to have to pay for um, identity theft protection to these individuals whose, whose information was exposed. And, you know, obviously their first reaction was like, no way that's not possible. When the reality is it, it was totally accurate. You know, they had 2 million records of social security numbers spread across their entire network. Now, if you were to ask the CEO, he would tell you that that those, Social security numbers only exist on, on the server in a certain spot. 
right? And we just showed him, like, no, that's not the case at yeah. all. Like, here you go. Like, it's on multiple computers. And the problem is, is, you know, they're going to have a hard time getting this fixed. Um, well, I think that the problem with that is, is that folks like that, like, compartmentalize because they, they paid somebody either internally or externally to create that software. They just assume that they do it. They, they did it right, or that you know their their hands are washed of that as, as a scenario. So it's just hard for them to grasp the the concept that hey, yeah, you got this piece of software that's supposed to do this thing. Well, you know, the person who designed it is a software developer, not a cybersecurity expert. And nobody vetted this thing, and boom, there yeah. you go. It's not something that they think of. That's actually yep. mentioned the number uh, four in a couple more. It goes into that a little more, uh, a little more detail. Great point. Yeah, that's a great point. Interesting, uh, interesting discussion, I think, on that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've actually um, seen the same scenario where you had that export and it gave all types of social security. And I think that's why it's important where a lot of times you'll have customers say, well, can I just hire you one time just to like do whatever you have to do? And, you know, I'll call you when I need you or whatever. But that's why it's so important, especially with this law, that it has to be continuous every month, every quarter. Mm -hmm. We have to be looking for these type of things. And, and it requires, uh, I think, I believe at least yearly uh, risk assessments where you go into this stuff, you know, in detail. Yeah, hundred percent. So number three that that this that's required businesses are required to do under this is encrypt customer information on your system and when it's in transit. So it's kind of like what I was what I was alluding to. You have these log files being created, um, unencrypted hard drives. So, you know, you don't even need to log into the computer. You can just pull the hard drive out and you have access to these social security numbers. Um, and then in transit, the story I told with, you know, the, the realtors and, you know, if, if that, you know, unless they're logging into their email and they're able to open, you know, the email that way, they're, you know, that email is not going to be intercepted somewhere and be read because you can't open it if it's encrypted and you're not one of the intended recipients. So that's kind of like a, an idea of, of, of what they mean by in transit. And I, I would venture to say that there's probably hardly any real companies in the real estate industry that have encryption on their emails. And, and I, I always like to go back to my point. I mean, that's all fine and good. But to me, that stuff should be going in an email at all, you know, encrypted or not. Right, but you can't control what somebody right. emails to you, right? And just think about that industry, right? They're dealing with consumers. You know, they're not dealing with other business people who potentially could be trained. But you also can't control if they encrypted it on its way to you either. So no, no, me. No. <laughs> I'm just with my hands. No, no. That's all. Um, it's also dealing with uh, information that you store on your systems that you have. And there's there's already software in place where you can literally encrypt all of your data to your organization. And if someone unencrypted a, a hard drive or got into your system or stole a hard drive and decrypted it or got into your 365, as soon as they took that data out of your system, they wouldn't be able to, to use that anymore. Um, so, you know, I think bottom, bottom line is they're going to have to show that they could do that. It does. It doesn't have an allowance here. It says if it's if it's not feasible, there has to be other safeguards that your your designated person says are good enough. 
I mean, I think if you were to boil it down, if you want to make it extra simple, all the stuff that's in this this law is all the stuff that we talk about every day every time we do this. It's not all the stuff that we recommend. It's just broken. It down. is, but you know, I'm I'm really kind of. You guys know my situation that I'm in right now. I'm just kind of really encouraged and floored about how much the government is really starting to clamp down here. Um, and you know, it's good. Not everybody see. sees this sees this podcast, you know, every week, right? So I think it's our duty to mention it every single week. That That's you got to start doing something now because it's going to be a tsunami that hits you one day, and you're going right. to be like. Oh, where am I going to, how am I going to afford this? You know, well, even with this, I mean, this has been something that has been in the works for well over a year. And still we're talking to people going, are you ready for that new rule that that's going to come down December 9th? They actually started working on this in 2003. And then this has kind of been in place since 2003, but the FTC amended it last year. And now it's actually becoming, it's, it's adopted some of it they actually gave you one month so it was back in october of last year there was a few things in the law they said you have to start doing within a month and then december 9th of this year it all kicks in so there's even some things that people probably aren't doing that they should have been doing yeah this last year but i was also saying how do they even know because it's not like the ftc has a, a database Sending out letters, sending out emails. They're sending out newsletters to everybody. I mean, <laughs> it's like if you get a ticket for having a you know a fishing boat in your front yard. I mean, you no, know, it's just going to be one of these. the law right. to get the ticket. Right. The fact that you I, broke the law. No, I never did that. I'm just saying. I, I say that. I tell people all the time. I'm like, this is going to be like not paying your taxes. You're yeah, you're going to exactly. get away with it. You're going to get away with it until one day you don't. Right. right. Exactly. And you're going to be dealing with two things. You're going to be dealing with a cyber event. And you're going to be dealing with the government who's making your life even worse. Well, I, I think there's also the, the uh, aspect of it where, like, you know, it, it's becoming more rare where you get into an incident like this. And, you know, if you're not doing the right things ahead of time where, where your insurance company is going to pay that claim. So even if you had a situation like that right now where your insurance company did pay the claim, uh, now the FTC could come in and give you those fines as well. So you, you've got, you know, twice as many chances for, for financial uh, risk uh, as you did before. Um, and, and like I said, a lot of the insurance companies are requiring these things. So you're probably going to get hit twice now. 100%. So as Randy mentioned, number four, assess your apps. If your company develops its own apps to store, access, or transmit customer information, or if you use third-party apps for those purposes, implement procedures for evaluating their security. So... Mm -hmm. I, I kind of gave the example already. You can use the previous one that I gave. That, that was a self-developed app that, you know, we ended up bringing it to their attention. It was never evaluated other than our normal, you know, assessment process that we go through. Um, I think this software program has been in use in their company for probably a decade. Probably. Uh, that's, that's probably the reason why it was like yeah. that. Was it was before that stuff was even something that people right. thought about. Um, also, you know, think uh, something to look at with these is uh, the software as a service application. So, like, if you're using, you know, something like QuickBooks, for example, you know, and I just had a conversation again with somebody, you know, the other day about this. Oh, my stuff's in the in the cloud, so I don't have to worry about it. It's, it's you know, it's their problem. It's in, it's encrypted on their servers, right? We're good. Um, no, that's that's not the case. Most of these things, they they release to you. You sign up for them. They make it easy for you to use. 
the features are there, but they're not turned on by default. So it's your responsibility to make sure that those security features are enabled. And I, I want to make a point kind of for all the stuff we've been talking about. These, these procedures and processes that are required by law need to be in writing. Um, in fact, I was even reading where they need to be in the contract with the, if you have a service provider, like, like one of the four of us here, um, it needs to actually be in the contract. But, you know, if you have to ask someone, you know, do you have an incident response plan? You know, do you have, this requires um, procedures for evaluating the security of third-party apps. It's not just yes, and it's right here in my head or whatever. It's gotta be a, an actual process that if something happens to that app and the government comes in, let's say you're using, you know, a third party payment app and the government comes in because there was a breach and you didn't have any kind of process in place for, for evaluating that, your butt could be on the line. And, and, and let's take that back to the, to the first part where you have to have somebody internal who's, who's responsible for this. So you, you can't sign that, that agreement and then come back later and say, but it didn't have these things in it, so that's their fault. No, that's that's on the business now. And we're getting spam posts. We're getting spam uh, comments. <laughs> we don't even have that open right now. Here, let's see. That's funny. Oh, yeah. Holy moly. Bye-bye. I guess you, <laughs> you blocked them. Bye-bye. <laughs> That, that, that's, right. a, that, that's a first for us, right? Don't spam my comments. You're getting, you're getting, you're getting, you're getting seen when you're getting We had an anonymous troll one time. Yeah, we did. Your first episode. Who's your yeah, first yeah, episode? I was like, no, I haven't heard about it. I think at the time. Maybe it was a suit. All right. So, Randy, you kind of let the cat out of the bag on number five, but implement multi-factor authentication for anyone accessing customer information on your system. Requires uh, The rule requires at least... Uh, two of these authentication factors, a knowledge factor, such as a password, and a possession factor, such as a token, a phone, um, and an inheritance factor, such as biometrics characteristics. So at some point you have to, man, this guy is still coming at us. <laughs> Multiple profiles? So, uh, yeah. So hit the big time, guys. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, that's interesting to me. I mean, they have to have a biometric characteristic as mm -hmm. part of their, um, as part of this multi-factor authentication well, requirement. So it's going to require two of the three. So you can have a password, which would be a, uh, a knowledge factor, and then you could have a thumbprint, which would be uh, an inheritance factor, or you could have a password and a and a code, or you could have a code and your thumbprint. Mm -hmm. You know, that would be, uh, you know, time-based, and then you'd have your uh, your thumbprint. But it's going to require two of the three. So we got dispose of customer information securely. Wow. <clears throat> we know, uh, I think it was Charles Schwab was guilty of that a couple times. They, they mm -hmm. lost some servers. They were like, we don't even know where their servers went. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, what? But how many companies out there, small businesses, think they can just toss their laptops and yeah. you know yeah. old computers right in the dumpster? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, this this is um, we're seeing this not in this not only in this particular law. This is starting to happen in states all across the union, countries all across the world. Mm -hmm. um, 
what are you doing with company with customers data mm -hmm. because yeah sometimes there's going to be breaches which is bad enough but if you have customer data from you know 25 years ago that you didn't need to keep like why did you why keep you still it. Have it you know yep. um and so now they're it, I mean, it does make allowances if you have like regulatory needs or that you have to keep it or, you know, if it does relate to your business, you know, it's okay to have that, but you don't want to just have customer information just hanging around. You're never going to use again. You get, you collect payment information, you store that on file, that customer leaves you, you don't touch it for two years. You're supposed to get rid of it. That's, that's the bottom line. I'm supposed to keep it around. Um, you know, and I think, there's a lot of people that are guilty of that. I mean, I walk into situations all the time where, you know, you got mailboxes with emails back to 1999. And it's like, well, they just think what's the harm, right? You know, nobody's right. going to look at this stuff, but they don't think about the big picture and that, you know, you're, you're expanding your threat surface. It's, it's no different than uh, the CEO who wants to have access to all of the data because he's the CEO when he doesn't need to touch 90% of that stuff. So why, why give a hacker all of that stuff on a plate if they get hacked? I, and I have a friend who does uh, shredding, and he's given me stories of where companies call him because they need to shred, you know, uh, closing their office or whatever, getting rid of papers, and he gives them the price for, for hard drives. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a pretty penny to do those type of things. And then he knows, like, they're, and he's a competitive price, and he knows that when that person hangs up, all they're going to do is just dump them in trash and just, like, you know, whatever. We, we did a security, uh, a cybersecurity risk assessment on a company that they didn't think they had any data locally and they were um, running credit checks and background checks and things like that. And it was all getting dropped down onto their computer when they did it. And that would be a perfect example um, in this case of, you know, data that you no longer need it anymore. Like you still want to have their name and their phone number and their email, but you don't have to have a full credit check know that you ran to sell somebody a car that needs to be disposed of mm -hmm. you know so we bought a car 10 years ago you know in fort worth like if that dealership gets gets hacked we don't have yeah. we shouldn't have to worry about our information you know as a customer you know getting hacked sorry that's the dreaded downloads folder exactly <laughs> <laughs> so then it says uh kind of getting started over there man it's good stuff so the, the, it also says that you have to anticipate and evaluate the changes to your net, your your information system or your network. And we talked about this. We touched on this a little bit earlier. You know, changes can be made by system administrators when they're testing things or trying to troubleshoot things. Um, you know, adding new devices, servers, computers. You know, what kind of risks that does that open up in your business? Um, and how are you securing it when you when you put these new things in place? Um, you know, I can tell you, you know, one of the one of the reasons our core values is embrace change is because I think every day, you know, with all the networks we manage, stuff is changing. You know, everything's changing, um, and that's kind of how I think people should look at their networks as a very dynamic thing that is changing all the time. You know, you plug a new device in, you buy something, you're changing your network and you're changing your your risk, uh, you know, landscape when you do these things. And you might not realize that, that that's what's happening when you buy a new printer at Staples and just plug it into your network and think that's okay. Um, <clears throat> so uh, what do you guys think around, you know, any other um, tips yeah, around this? 
was thinking of a perfect example. So we were um, we were doing a, a basically a, a quick evaluation, maybe leading to a cybersecurity review with a business just in the last couple of weeks. And they mentioned a, uh, like a closet where all the old laptops are. And like a good example here, like that's now a risk. So you've got whatever company data was being used and like, well, we're cloud-based. Yeah, but you know, you ran background checks and they got downloaded to your computer because they almost always do, right? Well, here's that laptop sitting in a closet. And then, you know, hey, we got an intern that needs a computer to do college. You know, hey, let's give them one of these. Like you can't, you can't do those kind of things. And there needs to be processes in place you know, when a computer is retired, you know, that because that be, then can become a leak. And I think that's that's part of what this uh, this this particular one's talking about. And that's basically, you know, you started off with identify back at the beginning. Well, you have to continually identify and know what you're uh, dealing with. And this next one, I guarantee you, is something that I would say 90 plus percent of the businesses, I don't care what size you are, are not doing or at least not doing well enough. Maintain a log of authorized users activity and keep an eye out for unauthorized access. That's a pretty big deal when you think about all the things you need to be monitoring and doing to make sure somebody who's not accessing something isn't. Um, Another thing that we talk a lot about, right? You gotta make sure you're keeping an eye on those types of things. You can't just put up the brick wall and expect that to stop everybody. You got to be monitoring and make sure nobody's climbing over that brick wall. And, and I think this is one of the points where it crosses the line that says the owner can't do this. You know, the owner doesn't have the tools or the mechanism. Yeah, he can probably set up two form factor. He can call. You know, we had no before last week and do phishing uh, awareness campaigns. But something like this, you have to have a cybersecurity uh, person helping you with this. Yeah, it, this is a. It's an interesting one to me because. God, I mean, I know what's involved there. It's easier said than done, right? Mm -hmm. It's two simple sentences, but they're, they're quite frankly, this, you know, the cost has come down tremendously in the last five years from what it was. But the things that you need to do around this require human beings still, even though there's some automation built around a lot of it. Um, and it requires you to invest in tools that cost money. It's mm -hmm. as simple as I can put it. Um, people that know how to operate and evaluate those tools and, and read the information that's being provided. So depending on your business and how much you're dealing with, you're going to want to look into working with a company that can provide you Security Operations Center or SOC, S-O-C, services, um, or SIEM, S-I-E-M. Um, you know, and, and these are, you know, companies that are set up to ingest logs from your devices, and they determine who's doing what on your different mm -hmm. networks and your devices and your windows and all that stuff takes somebody knowledgeable to be able to get those logs to the place they need to go so they can be ingested and then figure it out. And then you got to pay that company who has people there going through that stuff. When something does get flagged, a human right. being can probably jump in and, and look at it and determine, is this, you know, legit behavior or is this something where we we're dealing with a breach? We we literally had to do something like that about two weeks ago with uh, an employee that actually left like in September. Mm -hmm. um, but then the owner found out things that were going on and, you know, we had to go th search through the logs and we had to basically put 
together like his last few days um, to figure out, you know, who was he emailing, what was he asking mm -hmm. for, you know, what was being transferred, what was he downloading, what was he uploading, like all that stuff to really build a case, yeah. you know, to see what he was doing. And that's, that's, this, this is going to no longer be like some optional thing right. with these businesses. Which, and, and then I didn't read anywhere. What's the length of retention that they're going to require for the logs? Because that, that gets expensive because that requires storage. Um, are we talking about, you know, a year, two years, five years, 10 years? No. So. Mm -hmm. You're right. The longer you got to go, the more it's going to cost. Yep. Um, I would think in this case, under, under this regulation, I would think a year would be enough, maybe two years. Um, but you know, if you're in a highly regulated industry in the SEC or FINRA, you're seven years. So yeah. financial information a lot of times seven years. So I think one year is probably the the minimum for for most businesses. Most businesses. Yeah. Right. All right. So let's go touch on some of these higher level things. Obviously, Ryan, you mentioned conduct a risk assessment, and I know we got to split here in a few minutes because we got mm -hmm. places to be. Um, and then going past the things that we talked about, we have regularly monitor and test the effectiveness of your safeguards, right? So that's a penetration test. And you kind of guys kind of mentioned it should happen, you know, more often than, you know, at least once a year. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of continuous uh, risk, you know, penetration tests. Um, another one is, you guys have any anything you want to add to that? Mm -hmm. um, no. uh, and then we got train your staff, which, mm -hmm. you know, we had no before on last week, which you can go back and uh, you can go watch that, you know, video and learn you know a lot about training your staff and the, and the psychology behind phishing attacks and getting people to click on things and how you can better protect your company and your employees. Um, monitor your service providers. Wow. I think that's one that's severely yeah. lacking along with the log, you know, it's something that a lot of people don't even think about or consider. Right. You know, even, I mean, even when they're evaluating potential vendors. It's both upstream and downstream, right? If you need something in your business to run, you're buying a cloud application, um, you're using a particular vendor to deliver part of your service. These are all things you need to consider because, you know, they could be a problem for you one day if they get breached. Target's a prime example of that. I think that's probably the one, one of the most famous ones where they're you know, Johnson Controls, their air conditioning manufacturer, air conditioning service company, you know, their guy who had access to their network got breached and then Target was breached through that person. Um, keep your information security program current. You know, talked about that kind of always change. Everything's changing. You always got to, you know, evaluate and, and keep up with it. Um, I mean, I think for most businesses, a year review is good uh but there are certainly larger businesses and more more sensitive yeah definitely a year is, is more than what most are doing now yes and then you know if you can get to quarterly that would be you know you'd be you know top class i think if you're you're able to get to reviewing pieces of your information security program uh every quarter uh, written incident response plan. Um, that's interesting. I mean, I don't think a lot of people have a written incident response plan. I think 
many people's incident response plan, especially CEOs, is I'm going to call the guy I hired to do this for me. Um, that I think, not a, I think if you really boiled it down, most of their incident response plans is, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit, call. Now what? Harry. Harry had called Randy. Call, you know, whatever. Um, and then, you know, I guess the incident response plan, obviously, is to get, you know, to get you through an incident, get you back up and running. Um, but once you have that incident response plan in place, you know, start doing tabletop exercises as part of your, you know, keeping your information security program current. That would be a task I would put under there. Um, improve that incident response plan because the first time you do it out of the gate, it's not going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Right. So go through tabletop scenarios, go through a ransomware event where you're literally talking through, OK, this person just clicked on a phishing link and then boom. You know, 10 users reported they couldn't open files. And then, you know, you're kind of learning more and more. It's, it's like Dungeons and Dragons for, for tech groups. 100%. 100%. And you take the business people through that exercise and let them think and let them, you know, ponder whether, you know, I did one a couple of weeks ago with, with a client. I asked the CEO, what, what's your number for paying the ransom? Well, I'll never pay the ransom. Well, then I took them through the scenario and guess what? There was a point where he decided it would make yeah. sense to pay the ransom, right? So, uh, when you're looking at you know two months of downtime versus paying somebody nine hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars, you know, you know that that might change your mind. Um, but it might also then, change your mind about having those protections in place when you go through that tabletop exercise because if you had a lot of that stuff in place, you wouldn't have got to that point. And then you're going to identify issues in your incident response plan. You got to put a plan in place to fix those issues. So, you know, there's a lot behind what, what they're putting in here. So last one here, and we'll wrap up. Require your qualified individual to report to your board of directors. Yowza. Yowza. Yes. Can I say a little bit about this? Yeah, I just want to say real quick. I know I know a lot of you are guilty of it. You don't have a board of directors. You are your board of directors. So just remember that. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean this this one gets me so started because we've just seen over and over and over security professionals that were basically let go or because they because they squawked too much. Twitter or because they. Um, you know they were they're they're ignored because they report to like some sub C level person who's basically trying to hide everything. Dude, I've seen mid market companies where the IT person in charge reports to the marketing director. Exactly. <laughs> um, basically, this is saying it's got to go straight to the top. Yeah. And then you you can run into this problem even if if the the chief security officer is reporting to the chief technology officer. Yes. You know they're 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 two contrary positions. This also means since it has to go to the top, this the, the, the board or whoever needs to be reported to, they're going to be liable now and their butts are going to be on the line. You know, whether or not they like they listened, whether or not they let made the person actually do it. I mean, there's a lot of implications uh, that come from this responsibility. Okay, I'll take a deep breath now. <laughs> He asked me if we're good on time and then they got really excited. And I was like, oh, man. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, like I said, I wasn't joking around. Like, I know a lot of business owners that have S Corps, C Corps. Mm -hmm. You know, I, you know, you're supposed to have a board of directors. 
and I know a lot of companies that they just don't, right? You know, the CEO is the end all be all, especially in smaller companies. Um, and that's why this regulation rightfully points out if your company doesn't have a board or its equivalent, the report must go to a senior officer responsible for your information security program. So you're in, in no way, shape or form is anybody off the hook here. Um, and There's you know, no way you complete ignorance anymore. You, you can't cover your, yeah. eyes, your ears and pretend like it didn't happen. And it's all falls on the shoulders of the CEO, right? Because the board, they're get, they're telling the board that you need to get this information now. So you put pressure on your CEO to do the right thing, you know, and that's why this is happening. This is why it's being written this way. And if you don't have a board, then you are basically assuming all responsibility for, for this. Um, so this is good stuff, guys. I mean, I'm going to actually probably put together an email and send this out to some, some people I know that are in these industries that probably need to be made aware of this stuff because ask them to share the show. Yeah, share my show. I'll just send them. To, I'll send them. I'll send them the YouTube link. Um, but yeah, uh, we got a question from Stephen. Do we want to answer it real quick, or do we want? to? Yeah, we got a couple of minutes, but we do need to wrap up here in a minute. It's a really good All question. Right. All right. So Steve wants to know: Should a business communicate a breach to the public as soon as possible, or should there be a wait period? I think anybody that watches this podcast knows my opinion on this, but I'll let you guys tag it. Selfishly, I think yes, but I, I think I, I do agree. Yes, to which one? The, the to communicate the breach to the public as soon as possible. Um, but I, I think at the same time, realistically, as a business owner, you, you need to follow the steps. You need to have this type of thing answered in your incident response plan. Um, typically, you are going to want to have your insurance provider and your attorney involved, um, and they're going to be the ones who kind of dictate whether or not this is the case. It's a great, great comment. I will say, though, after the fact, I am also a big proponent of once it's all said and done and over with, uh, share the experience with other business owners. Um, don't. Uh, uh, we talked about how this is stigmatized. Um, people, too many business owners are out there saying this doesn't really happen because nobody talks about it. Um, I think it's really important to share, uh, to, to admit that it can happen to anybody because it really can. I mean, you could be doing everything or nothing and it can happen to you. Um, but you need to share that so people know that this is real, it's happening, and that they should uh, be doing things to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. I agree. There, there should be uh, definitely during the while the fire is happening, there definitely may not be a need to inform the public, like as far as yeah. the press release, because you got to get through that fire. But then afterwards, definitely and, give some lessons learned, and and you know, and if consumer information was released, let your customers know. Let be honest. Be yeah, honest. honest. Yeah. And, and there there are variables that that need to be considered here. I mean, we can't say that as a blanket statement. I mean, if it's something where the public has certain knowledge that something weird's going on. You know, that's going to make a difference between you know whether or not the public even knows that a breach may have occurred or that there's something weird going on. So that's why having a professional to, to dictate that and help you make that decision is important. And well, to kind of go off what you were saying before, you 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 don't want to go out like right away. You know, you you go into you know someone's office and has ransomware on it. You don't just instantly get out your phone and tweet it because you know maybe it didn't go anywhere. Maybe you have cybersecurity things in place that limited that blast radius to just that computer right. and it just needs to be wiped. So you reach out according to your incident response plan, your IT provider, your lawyer, your insurance company, 
and they'll go through a process to determine if everybody needs to know. I mean, if someone just downloaded a virus, you don't need to go put it on Twitter like five minutes later. And that doesn't mean there's necessarily a breach has occurred. Like as soon as you go out and you start using you know the term breach, for example, you're now playing by a different set of rules legally. Right. So you got to be careful and make sure uh, you know you're you're doing things in the right order. So it just goes back yeah. to everything I've been saying. You know, have an instant response plan that's going to guide you through the, the, these questions so you can figure out these answers. Uh, and, and go from there. Yeah, the yep. last thing that is going to the public, like for example, you, you're a web developer and now um, that part of the site was breached and now mm -hmm. everybody needs to reset their passwords or something like that. Something like that, yeah, you want to go right away. Mm -hmm. and, and just as another example, some, somebody called me this morning, like a friend of mine who, who was uh, certain that they had clicked on a phishing email yesterday and now their laptop was, was uh, definitely hacked uh, and, and talking through it. Uh, we, we figured out that it, it wasn't really a phishing email. It was the, the, the company that sent the email, like did some bad things that, that made it look like in the end that it was a phishing email. And he was able to confirm that that wasn't the case. Uh, and, and his computer just was coincidentally having some issues starting up that morning. So like you, you just, I mean, that was a very small example, but it is something that can happen where you, know, you start throwing up the red flags and go crazy when maybe there's not even an issue at all. Right. Yeah, I agree. One hundred percent with everything you guys said. I think I don't know if it was Randy or Ryan that said, you know, work together as as a team. I think it was Randy. You know, you're going to have your your attorney, your cyber insurance, you know, forensic guy, your IT company, your you know. But I would also say, you know, one of the other entities that you're going to want to have involved is law enforcement, mm -hmm. and you also want their buy-in before you go public simply because they could be in the middle of an investigation and whatever you release could screw that up. That's a great so, point. So, you know, just be mindful of that, that there are really big, bad cyber criminal people behind these attacks. And, you know, these uh, law enforcement people might be putting years of investigative work in and, you know, one little leak could tip somebody off or, or, or cause them to shut everything down. And, Maybe they were at the 20 yard line with their investigation and they needed another month or two to take them down. <clears throat> and then they just shut everything down and boom, and they spread out. And, you know, now they now they got to start over. So that's all the reasons why you don't want to jump out right away and, and disclose this stuff. But like we all said, eventually the lessons learned have to come out so humanity can learn from from these things. I mean, communicating right away that does make for our show to be a little bit better. We got lots of more. That was like the heyday of my YouTube content. I had no yeah, shortage yeah. of it. And now it's like, I actually got to work right. <laughs> to, to find good content. So, catch 22. Okay. people are kind of doing things the right way. So, they're, they're, they're taking our advice, but it doesn't yep. give us much to talk about right away anyway. No, but, you know, I don't, you know. I don't get any joy out of telling people about other people's mishaps. It just happened to be the way it was. You know? But I try to tell people when we're talking about protection, I'd much rather help you stay safe than come in and help you when you get breached. So, sure. All right, guys. Enjoy the rest of your time together down in uh, sunny Florida. And, we'll, we'll fill you in on all the stuff we learned. Mm -hmm. Cool. And then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll message you about next week. So Sounds take good. care, everyone. Uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend and we will see you all next week with some more stories about cybersecurity for you. Right. Take care everyone. See you.